This is the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Blanc, episode 151. Let's do this. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Blanc. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Blanc. I'm super excited that you're here. A lot of times we get questions, Michael, how do I generate off-market deals? How do I do with that? And, and the number one answer really is brokers. Now, we're not going to talk about brokers here today. Actually, we're going to talk about something completely different but related. We're going to talk about marketing. And this is something that uh, I learned in the house flipping days. And when I took my first mentor, I signed him in 2005 at the height of the market. Not once did I learn, oh, go to the MLS to find deals. No. What did he tell me to do? Tell me to go send out postcards. Uh, told me to put up bandit signs. You know those election signs you put up? Well, I remember, you know, going out at 5.30 in the morning so no one would see me and a cop stopping and asking me to take down the other 20 I put up just a few minutes ago. Otherwise, something else would happen. I hated that part of it, you know? I'm just saying, that's when you learn to hustle. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm just going to make a few offers. I'm going to go in LoopNet and I'm, and I'm going to make a couple offers and, and I expect it to work, right? That's horse manure. Anyway... A lot of things one can glean from these kind of marketing activities. And the people who know best about these are these wholesalers, right? Wholesalers, I used to get a lot of my deals from wholesalers. And what they do is they focus on marketing, generating leads, getting things under contract, and then selling or assigning the contract. And two of the biggest wholesalers in the country I have on the show today. Yes, that's right. I have Sean Terry and Corey Boatwright on the show today. I got a two for one, really, really outstanding. And the reason I have them on the show, not just because they're incredible wholesalers, but they actually did a, an apartment building deal where they made like 500 grand. And what's even funnier about it is they would never, ever do it again. <laughs> and it, it's because it was such an unnatural act. The stuff that these guys try to do where they try to apply the wholesaling business to the multifamily, you don't want to pull your hair out. So it's so entertaining. You got to listen to it just for that. But more importantly than the entertainment is really learning some of the techniques that they do with regards to marketing, direct mail, phone calls, that kind of stuff. Fascinating stuff. And they've actually done it with this deal because you have to do it a little bit differently with a multifamily day in your single family house. So super cool. Super cool to be in a fly in the walls with these two guys. Real quick, before we get into interview, I want you to check me out on social because I'm trying really hard to be on social. So Facebook is michaelblanc.com. That's my handle. Just search for Michael Blanc. There's also a private Facebook group called Apartment Investor Network. We have several thousand people active in that. And we kind of just put it out there. We're not really promoting it very much. Uh, but I want you to check it out because it's super, super active. All right. So Apartment Investor Network, that is our group. And there's thousands of people in there. So check that out. Also, I'm, I'm Instagram guy. I really am. I'm, I'm there like every single day. So you got to go to the Michael Blanc. That's the handle, the Michael Blanc. And check me out on Instagram. And I look forward to the dialogue there. All right. Let's learn all about unlimited off-market deals with Sean Terry and Corey Boatwright. Here we go. Sean and Corey, welcome to the show. What's up? How's it going? What's up? What's up? I have like up? the two foremost wholesaling gurus on the show today and this is a little unusual but you guys kind of stumbled into the multifamily thing and i love that because there's so many things that we can learn from wholesaling and i want to kind of talk about how you guys wholesaled and made a bunch of money and you'd never do it again like look you made a bunch of money well let's do that again and for some <laughs> reason you guys you guys thought that was not a good idea so who wants to go first first of all talk just really quickly about what you guys normally do and maybe you guys can, we can go back and forth what you guys normally do and how you got into this uh, multifamily thing. Sure. All right, Sean, I'll go first. So essentially I'm a wholesaler here in Oklahoma City. 
Uh, we do over 100 deals a year and strictly focusing on wholesaling, getting a contract and basically selling our interest, selling our contract to some other cash buyer. All our transactions, for the most part, are all cash transactions. And been doing that for probably in the last, since 2013, really got serious with it. So was that about six years or so? And then only within the last really two and a half to three years, got more interested in multifamily, which I'm kicking myself. I should have got in a lot earlier. I know Sean did. I'm sure he'll tell you about a deal he got into a big deal back many years ago. But I really have, I've only within the last two and a half, three years, really gotten focused on multifamily and now I have about 422 doors under our belt right now with our multifamily company. Sean's one of my partners in that. Uh, Corey Peterson is another one of our partners. You know, that's been an incredible journey to, uh, to really understand the multifamily side of things outside of just the wholesaling side. The wholesaling side is very transactional, right? So the multifamily is more legacy and long-term wealth building. And uh, it's just, uh, it's been awesome to, to build up those assets. And we have a goal of doing 3,000 units in five years. And uh, well on our way right now, we're looking at a 500 unit here in the uh, greater OKC area. And it's just, uh, it's awesome to, uh, to be able to learn about multifamily and to see how you can build real wealth with that. Thank you so much, Michael, as well. Your podcast was extremely instrumental. I know with uh, Sean as well. I mean, really going through learning some of the ins and outs of uh, how evaluating uh, the multifamily deals. And uh, it really helped us out, even though we kind of stumbled through our first wholesaling, like a $4 million apartment complex. But anyway, Sean can tell you a little more about that. Yeah, let's talk. Sean, tell us about that stumble that you guys did. It's a heck of a story. Well, yeah. Interestingly enough, I've been wholesaling in uh, Phoenix, Arizona for 15 years now, back from uh, 2003, wholesale all the way through the, the down market. I made some really smart uh, decisions, basically in 04 and 05. We built a 120-unit residential property portfolio with about $36 million and happened to sell it all in the height of the market. So that was my brilliant- Nice. Yeah, my stupid move was that I didn't, you know, your podcast wasn't out there for me to listen to at the time. So uh, I had a close friend of mine who was a civil engineer and he's like, we should buy land and we should entitle the land and sell it. So we bought about $30 million worth of land as the market was crashing, which was my dumb move and uh, lost millions of dollars. But I learned a ton, you know, because we we're all these land, there was no cash flow coming in. So essentially what happened was, you know, I got back to my roots wholesaling and, uh, and literally built, uh, and I have a whole entire team here. We've got sales guys and just, you know, and disposition guys and lead managers. And we do a, a ton of volume here in Phoenix. But once you, once you kind of understand the wholesaling process and understand that if you can go direct to seller and get deals, right, you can get a direct to seller, you can negotiate different terms, you can negotiate different types of spreads and get potentially better deals. So we happen, well, I happen to listen to your podcast because I really wanted to get into the multifamily space. But, you know, and when you do that, you got to find people that you highly respect and people that are putting out good content in your show. I was definitely attracted to because I'm more of a technical person. I like to know the how-to stuff. Your show is phenomenal at really digging into the how-to specificities of going out and doing that. So so I really uh, was attracted to it, listened to pretty much most every one of your episodes. And then Corey was, he started listening to as well. And what happened was he texted me about a lead he got 
in Arizona, in Phoenix, right? So that's what happened. So Corey texted me this lead about this deal. I skip traced this lead and tried to find the owner of the property, found the owner of the property. There's phone numbers in there, called the phone numbers in the property. Nobody really answered. Found out through a couple different addresses where the owner lived and they happened to live about 30 minutes away. So I got in the car and drove to this guy's house, right? And I knocked on the door, and at the time, he had contractors there that were installing those uh, screens, those like um, sunshade screens, because the sun is so brutal out here that put sunshade screens on. So he's putting that on there, and he wasn't home, so I talked to the contractors. I asked if they had his cell phone number at all when he was coming back, and they gave me the guy's cell phone number. I picked up the phone, drove away from the guy's house, picked up the phone, called me, and goes, yeah, yeah, I happen to have an apartment for sale, and... You know, it's 121 units in here. It's here in Phoenix. And I said, great. Is there a way that, you know, I could see it or, you know, would you like to sit down and talk? So what happened then is we set a meeting and I met him at a Starbucks and he showed up about an hour late and I'm sitting there waiting, you know, drinking four different coffees. Finally went down with him, got all the information, trying to find out numbers, went back, talked to Corey about it, set another meeting with a guy went back and got him you know, through probably about a two or three week negotiation process. Uh, we finally got that property under contract direct to seller, which was pretty exciting doing that. It was kind of crazy. You know, I, I do it different now. This lead just happened to come in and I you know, jumped all over it. There's ways to target a direct mail list to, to find direct to seller, but that's how initially we saw it. We got started and got the property under contract. Yeah, and, and another thing too on that, Mike, just, to, I mean, Sean's leaving out some details on this. Yeah. I mean, when I, I texted him, I sent him over this lead and he was like, this is a great deal. He, he like, he, he's like, I think this is a great deal. And at the time we, we were kind of like going back and forth, like learning, you know, kind of where the market was and all that. And I was so just blown away. Like he was like, I'm going to go find this person. I'm going to find them. And uh, was just like, I mean, had to find this person. And I was just so impressed. He actually found the guy, got his phone number, met with the guy. And uh, I mean, I'm telling you, that was a very exciting moment that we actually got a hold of that guy. And uh, Sean was like right on it. So, so far, so good. Now, where did the, where did the deal start turning uh, maybe not so good? <laughs> you, well, want, you, want to, you want to roll? Well, I mean, the hardest thing with multifamily is there's these timelines, right? You've got due diligence timelines. You've got financing timelines. You've got all these different timelines. So when you're trying to do a wholesale flip, other than like a residential property where you literally can put it out to the market and you can, you know, you can get a buyer like that that can make a property sight unseen and can close within days, you have to essentially find a buyer and then you have to line up those timelines correctly to be able to flip the property within the timelines of your seller or you're going back and negotiating more time. So we tried to build in a lot of time, which I the, the smart thing is we went in and did that. So we you know, I think we had a 60-day due diligence time frame, but it was business day due diligence versus a 60-day due diligence. Our due diligence didn't start until we had a laundry list of items that had to be delivered and then signed off on. So it took them uh, at least two, three weeks to give us all the information. Then we had to go through it. Then we had to confirm it. Then we had to sign off on it. Then the due diligence started. So what we're doing is we're playing this game of trying to extend as long as possible our time frame to find buyers. So that, that was one thing that I think we did really well was putting in the contract 
you know, little things that would give us the ability to extend out the uh, the timelines a lot. So then we had to go find a buyer for the property. You want to get into that quick? Yeah. So, I mean, not only that, we also had to figure out a time where our money's going to go hard too, right? A lot of people ask about that, Yeah. you know, and so we were, we were always just conscious about like when that time frame was, you're not just thinking about that point, then you're committed, right? And then, then you're on the line. And our goal was not actually to hold this property. The whole time it was, we were going to flip this property and, uh, but we just didn't know what was going to happen. And so in terms of finding the buyer, we had a hundred thousand to cover on the buyer. We asked for a hundred thousand on the buyer, but the fifty thousand is what I think we were committed to. If I'm not mistaken, I have to look at the papers, but I think it was like a fifty thousand, and then then we had a hundred thousand dollar cover with the buyer. Gotcha. So when we had the buyer, when we go find the buyer, the interesting thing is, is we sent out. So Sean and I both have a pretty good size email list, and so we were saying, okay, you know, we're gonna find who in our our list, which are all wholesale buyers, all residential buyers, or people that are interested in in residential. We wanted to find out out of all of our list, both of our list, uh, several hundred thousand names, who of them would be interested in multifamily. So the first thing we did was tap into our existing assets, Mike of what do we have right now that we could find buyers from? So that was pretty good. We actually started to get uh, interested people to raise their hand and uh, tell us they were interested. Now, keep in mind, I mean, uh, we would have done things very, very differently, uh, but we, we had our existing list. So we had some people that were interested in uh, multifamily. So we separated them right off the bat. We couldn't find a buyer from those people. We actually ended up doing a mailer and uh, well, we'll talk about let, the me, let me intercede first. So I went and talked to probably about eight to 10 people in our market about this particular property. And interestingly enough, this property had been shopped around by other wholesalers <laughs> that are like, there is no way you're going to sell this thing. It's way overpriced. I mean, the, the units were literally, I think the units were like, <laughs> 200 square foot units. They're like hotel units, but even smaller, right? So um, they had all these units and they're like these little tiny dinky units in this older building that had a ton of deferred maintenance that was mismanaged, you know, and there is, you know, had a lot of, a lot of stuff. So I started talking to kind of all the other wholesalers and people I knew in the market to see if they had any contacts or whatever. And they're like, that deal that has so many fleas on it. It's just like that. You're never going to sell it. Good luck. So I was pretty, we were actually pretty discouraged after that. We we're like, Oh great. You know, we got the dog with fleas. You know, we're thinking we have this deal that nobody knows about. And uh, so then we go, okay, let's kind of regroup. We know marketing, right? So what do we do? That was, that, that was the question. So go ahead, Corey. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. So yeah, so the next thing was, uh, obviously, I mean, uh, we wanted to find out who else the buyers are around the area. So we, we did a, well, if we got on list source, we got, we got a, a, a list source. So we got, we got a circle a radius within like, I think it was like a couple of miles from multifamily. Actually, folks, what we did, we actually, I, I, yeah, I'm the one that pulled the list. So we did, we, pulled, we went to the list source, we pulled all the buyers that purchased over 100 units in the last two years yeah. in like Maricopa County, anything Maricopa County. So we pulled a list and there was probably, was there like 3,000 buyers, you know, that were these buyers, right? And then what we did is we made a marketing packet, like a keynote presentation in a marketing packet. We kind of went back and forth. I'd make it and edit, send it to him and he would put some edits, he'd send it back to me and we finally got a final rendition 
And then we went, I basically went to, I was in, I, I have a beach house in Southern California. So I was out in Southern California and Dana Point at the time. And I got a FedEx company out there, gave them the keynote, gave them the you know PDF of it, whatever, gave them all the list of dresses. And they literally printed them all up into packets. We had a cover letter on top of it. And we FedExed them out with a delivery notification to every single one of the buyers. And the calls came in the quarry. <laughs> because <laughs> <laughs> right, he says beach house right he's like we're back and forth trying to figure it out so long long story longer on it the one call like i was in arizona too i was with my wife and we we're doing some shopping stuff there's like this little place called last chance my wife loves to go and there's a corner in this last chance like underground and so no reception there's absolutely no phone reception uh in there and it's but like you walk by a little corner and then you get like a little few bars the few bars that came up, it was the buyer that ended up actually buying the property was interested. And I was like in the corner, like holding my phone up like this, like on speakerphone, just hoping and praying that this thing, that reception's going to stay on. He was like, I'm interested. I know exactly where the property is. I'm interested. You don't need to talk to anybody else. I want to buy it. So I was like, holy, holy crap. This is, this is great. We got one. <laughs> you got, we got one. one. We got one on the, on the hook. We actually did, Mike. We had we had a few other people that sent in uh, LOIs, and some of them were low, some of them were higher with crazy things that they were asking for, crazy long time frames. Just we we didn't have a long time frame. We had to get it closed, so we literally had to say no to a couple other offers that were higher because we just couldn't get there. We negotiated, we couldn't get there, but this guy was serious, and you know he knew the property and he had money he can close. All right, great. So you got this guy. Now, tell us about the mechanism of actually how you unwound yourself, because it's also very interesting. You you applied some wholesaling techniques to that. Uh, also, a slightly unnatural act. But what did you guys do? Well, first off, he came in with a very, very aggressive LOI, right? So very, you know, sh you know, short time frame, this, that, and the other. But it's amazing what I realized that an LOI to actual contract and LOI to actual what happens is completely different, right? They come in with these aggressive, ridiculous LOIs that make you jump and sign with them. And then they literally slow play all the way to trying to actually get a contract. So it took us, he's like, oh, I gotta have my attorney draft the contract. Well, three weeks, almost a month later, we actually finally get a contract. We send it to our attorneys, they review it, they send it back to their attorneys. We're, we're like, what's the deal? We gotta press to get the contract. So then, mm. and then now in there, in his contract, he has the diligence time frame of getting all the information. So we get him all the information. It takes time for him to sign off on it. So as this is going back and forth over here with the buyer, our timeline is slowly decreasing with the seller. And now we're, we're yep. playing this game of we got to get him to go hard before we go hard right? We have these dates that are closing in on here and we're trying to match these dates to actually get them to go non-refundable before we go non-refundable. It was highly stressful and it was a nightmare trying to get, you know, and we're pushing the buyer to get him all his stuff. So he goes and he's doing everything he can to try to postpone his non-refundable date. And now we're going back. Luckily in the contract, we had an extension where we deposited another $50,000. I think that's what you're talking about and extended yep. another, you know, 30 days, but thank God we put that in there and it was 30 business days. 
And literally by the 60 business days and the extended inspection period until we got all the documents and then the additional 30 days we could buy for 50,000, all of that happened to end up perfect within like a 48 hour window where we got him to go non-refundable and literally 48 hours later we go non-refundable. So <laughs> I don't think that could have been planned. That was a God thing right there because, yeah. because there, there is no way in the beginning we could have, or even contracting him, we could have planned it so close and how everything just timed out perfectly and just landed right there. 48 hours, you know, he goes. So go ahead. So did you guys do a double close or did you assign the contract? We actually transacted. We got to figure out what we can talk about on this or not, because we actually signed a gag order, believe it or not, on this mic. So we got to be kind of like generic on some of this, but. Generic uh, away. Yeah, generic away. Essentially, we should have, if we would have assigned the contract, it would have been a much easier scenario. But instead, we wanted to double code, we wanted to flip this property. And uh, there's a little thing that happened. We had a property under contract, and then we found a buyer, right? But we also, because of the owner of this property, the original owner of this property had some legal issues. And so, because of that, that was one strike that we found out that uh, could be potential issues. So, so we looked at the property more. We found some other things that were in the property that we didn't really consider when we put in our first offer. Sean went back and actually got a reduction in the price of the contract, Mike. And yeah, once yeah. we got the reduction in the contract, we did not disclose that reduction to our buyer. And that caused, well, I'll let Sean tell you from there. Well, I mean, there was one small little clause in the contract that said that anything in our underlying contract with a seller that was a material fact that changed, we had to disclose, which price is a material fact, right? So <laughs> one sentence in the contract. One little tiny sentence, which we could have refuted and tried to, you know, come by. I mean, but it was, we were a few days from closing. Yeah. A few days from closing yeah. in, in that game. So Literally gave uh, the buyer the ability to negotiate our spread on the deal down about $150,000. And we should say that it got crazier too, Mike. We found out that the owner that had the legal issue, she just so happened to appear. And just lo and behold, she didn't know that we were selling the property to a person that she's already done business with. So they, they know each other, right? They go to dinner <laughs> and find out that uh, the price that we're selling the property for and what we're buying it for are different than what they understood. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a, it was a little stressful. And, and, and I told you this before, Corey, what you guys were doing was literally an unnatural act. What you pulled off was really, truly, absolutely amazing. Much harder than a normal deal, as you now, now oh, know. Yeah. <laughs> which is pretty I think amazing. I, I, I would, uh, so, we, so we ended up at the closing table. It was still a, a substantial multi-six-figure profit on the deal, which was amazing yeah. in the first place, number one. And number yeah. two, we ended up transactional funding it, closing it, and then immediately selling uh -huh. it same day to the buyer and getting that done. It was a successful deal. There was probably about 10 times during the transaction in the last maybe week that we thought it wasn't going to happen and we were going to have to pull the trigger and it was going to be a big mess. 
So uh, it ended up turning out successful. Buyer wanted the property. Seller wanted to sell. We were obviously in, in, had the control of the property. So all that you know said, it was an amazing, successful deal. But we learned so much from that transaction. One, it can be done. Two, so we broke the three-minute mile. I guess you could say it can be done. Now, what could we learn from it? So if we are attempt to do it again, or someone wants to attempt to do again, what would we do different? So let's talk about some of those things, because you, because you, you're so used to doing these things on a day-to-day basis, you glossed over some of the things. And I'd like to take the remaining few minutes to talk about some of the things, because you, you sure. wholesalers do things out of, it's because you've been doing it for years, but the average multifamily investor was like, what? How did you do that? So like, for example, you, you said, you know, we know marketing. You use marketing to find your seller directly, bypassing brokers. You use marketing to find buyers, which is insane. Right. And in a normal world, you know, we are the buyers, right? Typically we are the buyers. So we don't have to find the seller and the buyer. If I could just find the seller, that's like absolutely awesome. Right. If I can use this maybe to find a, a buyer later on when I sell it, that's great. But you talked about a few things. You talked about a uh, list source and lists and things of that nature. Let's, let's focus on finding the seller for the moment. You mentioned skip tracing, and I want you to talk about that. So we talked about list source, you talked about direct mailers, and you talked about skip tracing. So these are all things that you're using to identify a seller, right. and you talk about those in a way that someone might be able to, to kind of replicate that a little bit. You know, so what you essentially can do is use list source. List source is a list pulling client that pulls fresh down. We, we pull our pre-foreclosure list. We pull our you know high equity list and stuff, but you can go in in under list source, you know, you can pick your state, you can pick your county, even down to the city, even down to the zip if you want. And then you can pull apartments and then you can even pull how many units plus. So you can pull 50 units plus, 25 units plus, 100 unit plus. And you can pull all those current. You even can put like, so what we did was after the fact, I pulled the list in multiple different markets of 100 unit plus that were 10 year ownership. So you can put length of ownership 10 years. So now I have someone that's owned an apartment, it's over 100 units, it's in the markets we want to be in, and they've owned it for 10 years. So they depreciated a lot out of it. So they, they might be willing to sell. So then we're able to pull that list. And then we can direct mail them, we send them a direct mail piece, it was very simple, like 1031 needed ASAP type of thing, you know, so there's an urgency behind it, please call us ASAP, we have a 1031 we need to place ASAP. And uh, something like that to get them, you know, to call us. That's number one. Number two is you can take that list and you can skip trace it through like a company that would be like skiptracelists.com. You can literally upload the list and they'll give you up to 10 phone numbers. They'll give you an email address of the person as well. And there's not a huge amount. Like in Phoenix, I think- How many are we talking about here? Let's pick like Phoenix or something. How many- well, just in Phoenix, you're talking over 100, 10-year ownership, over 100 units, stuff like that. You're talking maybe, you know, three to 400, so not a lot. So it's not a ton of people. So if you were to skip no. trace three to 400, how much does it normally cost uh, per skip trace? 20 cents a record. 20 cents a record. Now, what about LLCs? A lot of these buildings are, are held by LLCs. How do you find who the members are or the GPs? So we have actually, I have a, an in-house person, a, an intern, pay like 12 bucks an hour. She'll go in, search the corporation commission, pull the information, get the seller's name, and then drop that in there. And then we'll do a skip trace on that. 
Ah, brilliant. Okay, so great. So now get, you have get at least phone numbers for direct to owner. And then from that standpoint, we can call them, we can cold call them, we'll drop ringless voicemail messages to them, we'll drop voice broadcasting messages to them. And we'll actually physically cold call them to see if they're interested and we'll direct mail them. So we literally surround that seller, you even can take the names, import them to Facebook because they have email addresses too and then uh, target them specifically on Facebook saying, we need 100 unit plus ASAP type of thing on Facebook. And what kind of response uh, were you getting? I mean, uh, this, this was, it, it sounds like this was kind of an accidental lead, uh, maybe. Uh, have you ever tried directly targeting sellers for these larger, and if, what was kind of your response rate? What was your success rate with, with doing yeah, that? Yeah, we did, we did 50 unit plus, and at the time our phone literally blew up. The mistake I made is was I did, I think like, I think it was four or five major markets all at one time. So we had inbound and I had a guy that was working. He couldn't handle the amount of leads that came in. No one's mailing these people, but except brokers. So if you have a person direct to buyer, you know, now right. their inbound calls, they're blowing up. So we contracted several of them that didn't really fall through. I had a guy that was kind of working on it, but I didn't, honestly, I didn't spend a lot of time and energy working on it, he got overwhelmed and then he moved on to a different company. So I haven't really, because I'm doing so much of my wholesaling business, and then now we're buying and holding, pursued kind of going that because we had deals that were all over. I mean, we had 100 unit plus that were all broken up into fourplexes and you know all across and stuff. They're hard to analyze and get done, but for someone that wants to go direct to seller, that'd be the method to do it. You can't get your phone to blow up. Just make sure you have the wherewithal and the capacity to handle the amount of leads and convert those leads into potentially deals. And I know Corey's doing some marketing coming up. Is that. that something you can outsource? I know there's call center type companies. Uh, how, how effective is that? Or should one try to maybe train their own assistant? Or what's the best way to, to take in these calls? You can do it two different ways. I mean, one, you can do it with an answering service like Pat Live something like that, or you can just have a hired person uh, do it that way. The hired person is going to be better because they build that relationship with that person. And on the multifamily stuff, it's actually probably better to do just that you have somebody in-house or someone local that knows the kind of culture or can kind of speak that language compared to a answering service, which if you want to use for a rollover, they will ask the same questions over and over again. So they're more consistent and then they also are never going to not answer the phone. So anytime, so it's always going to speak with a live person. So if you have 10 calls coming in at one time, which is rare, but if you do, you're not going to have them go to a voicemail. You're still going to have someone actually live and pick up the phone. So on these multifamily lists, they're small lists. They really are small lists. And more in the Midwest and, and South, which is where we focus a lot now, it's a small list couple of thousand units, maybe, right? That's looking at a couple of different MSAs. I think here in Oklahoma and, and Tulsa, we have just around 2,000 or so, 50 unit plus units uh, in the greater OKC and Tulsa MSAs, which is a couple of million people. So when you have a smaller list, you can do a lot more things. What people are missing in the wholesaling uh, world, in, in my opinion, is as residential with single family, you're always asking yourself, what's the cheapest I can spend for a mail piece? What's the cheapest I can spend? So usually it's like a postcard, 35 cents, 37 cents, something like that, Mike. But with multifamily, what you got to remember is you've got to get the attention of the person. So now, you know, it's much more critical to get the attention of a decision maker, of someone that's actually going to give you some response, right? 
And so, you know, this year putting a bigger emphasis on what that looks like for marketing, you can spend a lot more money on marketing. So instead of spending 35 cents on a postcard, you might be able to spend seven, eight dollars, ten dollars on a mail piece and actually be able to get a response back from a decision maker. So whenever you're dealing with these, and, and Sean talked about list orders, but, but really one of the best places to go is CoStar. CoStar has all of the names of the owners of the properties, and you can also get their property management companies too. That's great advice, CoStar, which is very, very expensive for most people. But yeah. but if you can find a commercial broker and, and maybe they're, they're finding deals, uh, though now you're possibly stepping on their toes, CoStar is a great source. List source is obviously much more accessible. But you talked about a, a different mail piece and, and uh, what kind of mail pieces are you referring to that might cost $10 or so? Sure. I mean, so one thing that we're experimenting with right now is doing a signature piece. So you can actually either do a FedEx, which is a more expensive or you can actually do a USPS with a request for signature, uh, which is least expensive, but the tracking is just horrendous. It's, it's so horrible. So you have to really decide on which kind of angle you, you want to go. So that's one way to do it is this signature request for that on the mail piece. Yeah, you can do a FedEx cool. Express under $10 or someone's going to physically deliver it. And if someone gets a FedEx right on there, it's, it's a pretty much 100% open rate. It typically goes right from the secretary directly to the owner when the FedEx comes through and the owner opens it up and we'll be able to, uh, to be able to see that deal. So, I, I mean, I prefer FedEx, uh, doing FedEx because you can spend that more money and you're, you're going to get in front of those people. Yeah, you can also get credits depending on if the company, you know, does a lot of business with FedEx. You can get credits with FedEx, um, which, which is great too. The other thing though is with marketing. We're talking about marketing. We're talking about direct response marketing. Because marketing, not all marketing is created equal. This is where the commercial side, and from looking at it from a wholesaler and, and a single family side, the whole Dan Kennedy, you know, John Carlton, you know, these godfathers of marketing, how they taught about direct response marketing, meaning that they need a response right now. They want someone to call right now. They want them to take an action right now. That's being unutilized in a massive way. And the reason is, is because direct response marketing for some bigger companies, they kind of have a bigger image, they have things to hold up. It kind of feels a little cheap to them. It feels a little cheap to be able to personalize, ask someone to call you and, and get that direct response. So they go with the big brand idea and they're not getting that kind of response because they're waiting now for the relationship whenever on direct response marketing, we're used to as wholesalers for someone to get the postcard, to feel something for whatever reason, to give the person a call and to get the response. All you want is just the response. You just want the call. So that's the, that's the experiment for 2019 and beyond is figuring out what is the smartest way to get the response of a decision maker for properties that are off market in the multifamily space. Mm -hmm. So good stuff. We got to wrap it up. I could jam with you guys all afternoon, but what's the best way to, for people to connect with you guys? Yeah. So uh, my company is investingcapitalgroup.com, investingcapitalgroup.com. That, that our information uh, was Sean's on there as, as well. And then real estate investing profits is a uh, podcast that we run for single family. And that's been, uh, that's been awesome too. I just want to say, hey, I appreciate all the awesome content you put out there and uh, every single week putting out great content where it just uh, inspires people to go out and get their first, you know, four unit, six unit, 10 unit. And uh, so I appreciate all the content you've been putting out for the years and I appreciate being on the show. Thank you. 
Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Uh, I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, sometimes we, you know, we, we we discard other type of asset classes investing because it's not directly relevant. And I love this kind of stuff where we overlap, where we learn from one different kind of investing, we apply it to another. I agree with you, Corey. The whole house flipping, wholesaling marketing technique is, is sorely underutilized by 99% of the investors. So if you guys listen to this stuff, hopefully this will open up your mind and take you to action. So I appreciate you guys for coming on the show. Uh, thanks, Mike. Really appreciate it. Sometimes I love looking at other real estate investing strategies. While they're not directly relevant, I can always learn something from them, right? So here's some of my, my notes here. Good lists, getting a good list. And listsource.com is a great source for that. Uh, we used to use it all the time. And it's a great way. We haven't used it in a while, right? Because we're getting a lot of our deals through the deal desk. If you go to the michaelblank.com forward slash partner, you can find out more about how you can get on the on the deal desk. So here's the thing. I think we need to teach people more on how to get on list source and send out postcards and things of that nature. So a strong list is very, very important. The advice I got after the call is it may help to actually call this source and tell them exactly what you want because constructing the list can be a bit challenging. So that's number one. Skip tracing is uh, is also something that's going to be hugely valuable once you actually get a person to skip trace that person and get their names and their email addresses as well. Then the mailers, like in the house flipping stuff, we would send out postcards. You can't send out postcards to an LLC or the member of an LLC. They're just going to throw in the trash. And this is why uh, Corey sent out this FedEx package. He says you can send it or USPS, you can send it for just under uh, $10, which is a lot more than a postcard, believe me. But what's the open rate of a FedEx or USPS priority mail package? Yeah, close to 100%. So definitely try that. And there's much less apartment buildings than there are houses. So you don't have to send out 10,000. You can send out just several hundred and get the same job done. Think about then, well, the call to action is is you want them to to call you, right? So what are some of the owners? Why would an owner want to call you, right? And I, I just remember this from Marcus Millichap guys. They are the best marketers of them all. And so as a seller, a lot of their material was like, uh, you know, would you be interested in a quote on how much your property is worth? And I'm like, heck yeah, I'm interested. Boom. And I would pick them up and they would, you know, they would send me a report and now they have a, a relationship with me, right? The other one is, well, do you want to sell something? Because I'm buying. Even if, you know, I'm not, I'm not listing broken, I'm going to buy it. And the other one could be, hey, maybe you want to buy more. You know what? I come across properties all the time. If you want to buy more, then uh, give me a call. Again, those are three reasons why a seller would want to give you a call. And make sure that you have someone on the other line who can take the call, seems professional, and, and can really represent you. And what you want is a warm lead that you can then talk to and, and build a relationship with. I think it's a it's a medium to long term strategy. Uh, I don't think, though you could get lucky, getting a deal out of the next thirty days is probably not that likely, just based on people I've talked to. Uh, but certainly, it is very likely over twelve months. The problem is, it takes time and costs money, which is why brokers is the number one way to generate leads and building relationships with them, because they should be doing the good ones do of what Corey and Sean are already talking about. But once you have that in place and you want to go deep and you really want to go in off market deals, this is the next frontier. But don't go there first. This is kind of the second thing, but I thought it'd be really useful to share with you kind of some of those tactics and strategies from the wholesaling and house flipping world. Super cool. You know, I found there's, there's really three things that you need to do your first deal. And if you haven't done your first deal yet, then you're missing one or more of these. One is you need deal flow. We talked about that today. You need deal flow. Number two is you need capital, money, equity. And then number three, you need your team ready to go on the ground. And the people that are doing deals have all three. The people who are struggling uh, are missing one or two of those. So if you really want to accelerate this right now, I encourage you to check out our mentoring program. It's at the michaelblank.com forward slash mentor. 
And the reason I bring it up is because our students have gotten really, really big success in short period of time. And I think the mentoring program, uh, the one that we have, all of our mentors are full-time apartment building investors. They've quit their job already. They've already done what you want to do. And they are just unbelievable teachers. They're really passionate about uh, sharing with others so they can have what they want. They're just really good at it and they're really motivating. And our students are getting super, super results with that. So if you want to accelerate your timeline and go bigger, faster, mentoring might be for you. It's certainly an investment. Uh, and it may not be for everybody, but check it out at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. All right, you guys, appreciate it. Hope you found that valuable and useful. Have a great rest of the day. I'll catch you next episode. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, the secret to raising money to buy your first apartment building. Till next time.